0: Episode of the rebuild, fresh out the box, brand new. You just took the lid off, it smells great. It's got that new shoe smell, that new podcast smell. Because it is another episode of the rebuild, I am your host, Jordan Zerm. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, I am at Cleve Zerm. Um, I guess I've never really talked about what else I do. I used to work for ESPN Cleveland, um, but as of uh, this week, actually, I am no longer there. I'm now mostly writing for Uproxx. Doing a lot of sports content for them, specifically some NBA stuff, Um, so you can check me out over there. I'm also the producer on the Tomahawk Show, um, which uh, Joe and Hawk were just at the Super Bowl in Atlanta and had a ton of really great guests, so you can check them out. Uh, The Tomahawk Show is another great podcast to listen to, so I also help on that uh, on a weekly basis, but most importantly, I am the host of the uh, biggest Browns podcast on the planet, One that Esquire Magazine recently said was, quote, pretty good. Um, One that, um, what other publication was I reading that had uh, Sports Illustrated for kids said, um, I don't understand it. And another publication came out, I believe it was actually the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition where one of the models said about the rebuild and I quote, what is that? Uh, end quote. So uh, we're doing really, really big things, but do appreciate you guys listening as always. Um, appreciate you guys subscribing and rating and leaving comments and all those wonderful things. Every time I've dropped a new episode, it has appeared on the iTunes top 200 charts in the sports and recreation category, and that means a lot to me, and that is a very crazy thing to see. So um, it's really cool, and appreciate uh, everybody listening. So tell a friend to tell a friend, to tell their dad, to tell their uncle that the rebuild uh, is wonderful, and they should check it out wherever they get their podcast. So today, I, I first off let's let's touch on a very important subject. We're going to get to um, a lot of things regarding the Browns. Uh, their Super Bowl odds came out, which may surprise some people with how uh, high they are. Bill Barnwell for ESPN did a column where he predicted the over-under for each NFL team's win total that Vegas is going to have coming up. And so we will get to that and what he had as the Browns over-under for the 2019 season. We will talk a little bit about Rashard Higgins and how his request and his really his... um, his, his plea to John Dorsey? It wasn't so much of a, of a plea. That feels like a begging thing. I don't think it was that. But Rashard Higgins saying that he would like to play in Cleveland and get a contract extension. We'll talk about why he absolutely should and why that is something that will hopefully be happening in the not-too-distant future. And we will also get to uh, some mock draft stuff that people have written recently. The Draft Network, The Athletic, both have come out with mock drafts recently and who they have going to the Browns. So we will get into all of that on this episode, but I want to start by telling people that it's okay to think that the Super Bowl was boring, because it was. It was really boring. The Super Bowl was so boring that I had people over at my house, my apartment, which I moved into a couple months ago, really the first time we've had a gathering. We had snacks ready to go. You know, we had some pizza rolls brought over by a friend. Underrated snack at a gathering: pizza rolls. We had some guacamole. We had some spinach and artichoke dip. We really just had whatever you your heart desired. It was there. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm a millennial, which clearly means I don't have cable. I'm a cord cutter, as the kids are saying. I have sling. And I also have an Amazon Fire Stick, and I have an antenna that I use for you know ABC and Fox and all that stuff. But it it different times of the day dictate what channels come in the best. So I could not get CBS with my antenna. This is like a half hour before people are coming, so I'm like, all right, I'm scratching this plan because uh, the antenna is not working. It's also this really ugly flat white rectangle that looks like a mouse pad that people don't believe is an actual antenna. So I'm like, let me just get rid of this. I'm gonna see if I can find a way to stream it. Lo and behold, CBS Sports Headquarters, which is an app slash streaming channel that you can get, had a free preview of the Super Bowl, not preview, free streaming of the Super Bowl. So I'm, I'm like, dope. I'm gonna click that, people are coming, they're just gonna be like, wow, what an amazing home, and you're streaming it, this is an incredible experience. It starts buffering like every 10 seconds. And then it would have to catch up to itself once it came back. So a play would happen. It would freeze and buffer. And then it would start playing again. And then all of a sudden it would jump. And before you know it, Jared Goff has thrown an incomplete pass on third down. But you didn't see the pass. You don't know what happened. We almost missed the initial interception that Tom Brady threw. So we would have just had no idea what was going on in the game. But no one cared. Like It got to halftime and... Um, the, the streaming got better, and we really didn't have any issues with it in the second half. And the first half didn't matter because it was so boring and so bad that uh, literally the buffering issues didn't affect anybody. We just were eating and drinking and laughing about how bad the game was. And then the second half wasn't really a- any better. It was just Brandon Cooks dropping passes and Jared Goff looking at uh, pressure in the pocket like it, like he was about to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel, and he didn't know how he got there and he didn't know why he was in the barrel. And somebody was like, all right, I'm tossing you over. Good luck. And he was just like, "What's? why am I here? What's happening? And I just think it's funny, too. I don't think Jared Goff is a bad quarterback. <clears throat> I think the Patriots are an incredible, incredibly coached team with Tom Brady and the schemes they run week in and week out to just absolutely destroy everything you've, your team has been good at for the entire season is, is truly incredible. And I'll get to more of that on, in a moment. But you know, a lot of people spent this lead up to the Super Bowl being like, remember when everybody was talking smack about Jared Goff and saying he was a bust? You guys look dumb now. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have been doing that. As if like having an opinion that Jared Goff was not good after a season of him being terrible was this horrible thing to have. I saw so many people on Twitter analysts doing this, like, you gave up on Jared Goff too early. Nobody gave up on Jared Goff. But he was trash. I don't understand. Were we supposed to just say, "Mm, wait till next year, maybe he won't be trash. Forget about how awful he was this season. Let's not talk about that ever. Because next season, he will be better. And then we can never talk about him being bad because it won't matter. And now he is good. It's just like, you can say Jared Goff had a terrible rookie season. Jared Goff had one of the most abysmal rookie seasons ever. Was he under the spell of Jeff Fisher? Of course. But he also was really bad. Like, these things do not just happen because the coach was bad. Sometimes the quarterback is bad, too, and Jared Goff improved in year two, and he was phenomenal in year three. But then, in the Super Bowl, the Patriots watched two weeks of film, which I feel like is unfair. The Patriots should only have one week of film watching allowed before the Super Bowl. Not two. Every other team should have two. The Patriots, for one week, should have all of their electronics taken away. Like the Patriots are grounded. They just have to sit in their room and read a book. Like a a really thick John Grisham novel for a week. And then they can come out and then they can start doing their prep. Because two weeks for Bill Belichick feels like you're just giving Usain Bolt a head start in a race. Which no one should ever do. Because that's unfair. That would be unfair. And that's what it's like. So... He ran. Jared Goff ran into that buzzsaw, and he looked terrible. That play where he was running out of the pocket, and it looked like he was going to throw it away, but then like he just froze and almost got decapitated for like a 20-yard sack. Like His body just shut down. His body was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he just fell to his knees in despair. That's the type of thing that Bill Belichick's defense did to Jared Goff. And Jared Goff is not a bad quarterback. Jared Goff is improving, but... Jared Goff is really, but not just kind of bad, like really bad in the Super Bowl. And so it's okay to say that. It's okay to point out when people are bad at their jobs, even though in the future they may get better at their jobs. So that really, that's just a tangent that upset me. But my main point here is that the Super Bowl was boring and it's okay to say it was boring. And no matter how many times Trey Wingo yells at you and tells you that it wasn't boring. And if if it was, then you should go watch like the Raptors play basketball, which I think everybody would love to. I love to watch Kawhi Leonard. I love to watch a fun young Raptors team. So, sure, I'll turn this game off and watch the Raptors. Uh, you can say the Super Bowl was boring. You can say that as incredible as the defensive scheme that the Patriots put together and how they took away the middle of the field and how they knew exactly the type of tendencies that the Rams were going to uh, bring to the super bowl and they took it all away you can still say it was boring to watch because the rams scored three points and it was zero zero for forever and then it was three nothing i think it's okay to be like that super bowl was not enjoyable and i think if you if you're just a casual fan like you didn't have a rooting interest in either team and you're telling me that you had that was a blast you're lying you're just lying to me and I don't know why you're lying to me. I don't know why you would lie to people. It's a rude thing to do, so don't do it. But you're lying. The Super Bowl was bad. You know what else was bad? The halftime performance. Oh, my God. Adam Levine, man, put your shirt back on. Nobody. I didn't, what is the point? I was joking. Like, he slowly was taking things off, and I was like, oh, he's going to end up shirtless. Not thinking he was actually going to end up shirtless. Like, dog, we get it, man. You have a lot of tattoos. Maybe one of them was new. You wanted to show it off. Cool. Arm sleeves all a rage. But, like, put a shirt back on, man. Just put it back on. This is a family event. Janet Jackson, you know, mistakenly showed a boob. And the country was up in arms. Adam Levine goes shirtless for no reason at all. And he's gross and sweaty. And everybody's like, hmm. This is just America, you guys. You got to accept it during these performances. And also Maroon 5 is just like the most, their music's fine. Like that's how I would describe it. And I was reading an article about their halftime performance. And I think it was on Esquire, forgive me if it was somewhere else, but they just were like, this performance was just like, it was just 2002 because that's when all of Maroon 5's hits were there. And they played like 75% of their performance was just old songs that were hits because nobody listens or cares about Maroon 5 anymore. Of we got Travis Scott for 20 seconds. That was great. Not like he had one of the best releases of 2018. And I do like that somebody was just like, it's Atlanta. Let's bring out Big Boy for 15 seconds in a Cadillac. And he'll wear a fur coat, and it'll be the most Atlanta thing ever. What a, what a representation of America that performance was. Here's a majority of this performance will be from a boring white man who's probably not qualified to be here or anybody wants. And why don't we give the two more popular uh, black rappers uh, 15 seconds each, both from Atlanta. (laughs) Like Adam Levine's from California. If you couldn't tell by the enormous uh, tattoo of California he had across his chest, uh, that's where he's from. But why don't we have the two guys who are native to Atlanta and represent a flourishing hip-hop culture there that intersects with sports in the city in meaningful ways. <clears throat> why don't we have both of them on for 15 seconds? Cool? Cool. That's America in a nutshell was that halftime performance. So congrats to everybody involved in that. But I digress. Because it's too upsetting. The Super Bowl was boring. It's fine. I'm going to get a bumper sticker. It's going to say the Super Bowl was boring. It's okay to say that. So if you see me driving around... In a Kia, with that bumper sticker, it's me. Say hello, wave to me. We'll strike strike up a conversation, and that's how that'll go. Uh, let's let's quickly move on here, so I can get off my high horse about the Super Bowl and talk about the Browns' uh, Super Bowl odds for next season. So let's move from one boring Super Bowl to hopefully a not boring Super Bowl, which will be next, which will be next season, because maybe the Browns will be in it. They probably won't. Like if I were to guess right now, if you asked me if the Browns are going to be in the Super Bowl in 2019, I would say no. But the odds came out uh, over, I believe this was last weekend, Super Bowl odds came out. There's some conflicting reports here. I think different sports books have slightly different odds for the Browns. But the one I've seen the most have been the Browns at 20 to 1. Um, And uh, that is so high. (laughs) That is is pretty crazy in terms of where the Browns' uh, Super Bowl odds are. And there were some other really interesting things I saw uh, in relation to the Super Bowl odds. Uh, this is credit to uh, 92, 92.3 The Fan, who noted that for the just the fifth time since 2009, the Browns' odds for a Super Bowl title are less than 100 to 1. The fifth time since 2009 that this has happened. So... It's almost a it's about a decade and the Browns only five times have had odds less than a 100 to one. Um, Dustin Fox also tweeted out a full list of Super Bowl odds. So this one had the Browns at 25 to one, but that still was the 12th highest of any team in the NFL. Uh, New England at six to one was number one, Kansas City seven to one, LA Rams eight to one. New Orleans nine to one. Then you got the Chicago Bears at fourteen to one, along with the Colts. Green Bay Packers were and Minnesota Vikings were at eighteen to one. Los Angeles Chargers, Philadelphia Eagles were at twenty to one, and then you have the Steelers at twenty-two to one, and then you have the Cleveland Browns at twenty-five to one, and that was twelfth highest on that list. So that is um, that is wild. If you want to go to Vegas or wherever sports betting is legal now and put money down on that, you should. Why not do it? But it's cool to see the browns that high, even though I feel like maybe that like they're above Dallas, Atlanta Baltimore, Houston like Houston to me should be higher on that list they have Houston at thirty three to one um, so it's just it's cool to see the browns that high, but I also feel like maybe they're too high, and that moves me into talking about an article I mentioned at the top, uh, Bill Barnwell, who decided to try and predict the over-under in terms of win total for each NFL team that Vegas will be coming out with whenever they come out with the official uh, over-under for each NFL team. One time I was in Las Vegas. Uh, this was actually last, this was 2000 and summer of 2017, so right before the Browns went 0-16, Uh, Their over-under win total was four and a half, and I took the over, so I just wanna preface this conversation with that. They won zero. They won zero games that year, and I took the over. I did not win any money. I also took the Indians to, I think their odds to win the World Series was like eight to one or something? I forget what it was. Anyway, put money down on that too, so. Good year for me in terms of betting. The only time I've ever bet on sports legally Was that so? Probably won't do that again. Uh, Bill Barnwell, though, has the Browns projected over under at seven and a half wins for the 2019 season. Makes plenty of sense. The Browns went seven, eight, and one. Vegas considers a tie a loss for the purposes of these betting boards. Um, but uh, he's got the Browns at over under seven and a half. Um, read a couple quick things from this little blurb he has. Again, this is Bill Barnwell, ESPN. After years of ranking as the lowest over-under on the board, the Browns aren't a joke anymore. Baker Mayfield and company would have come narrowly short of this total at 7-8-1 in 2018. Uh, With a young core and Hugh Jackson safely esconded outside the Cleveland metropolitan area, it would be reasonable to expect the Browns to improve in 2018. He does point out, though, that there are some uh, factors that point to some... potential for regression. Their schedule is going to be tougher because they came in third place in the AFC North, so they will have a third-place schedule instead of a fourth-place schedule. They played Jeff Driscoll for a game and a half, which is a salient point. Um, Their turnover margin he also mentions, and that's something I've mentioned on past podcasts. They finished the season plus seven in turnovers, which I do not think is going to happen again. I think that is going to regress to the mean for the Browns, and that is going to be something that their defense is going to have to adjust to especially takeaways. Um, and then also, the last sentence here, teams that improve as much as the Browns did in general often have a consolidation year. 67 of the 89 previous teams that improved by five or more wins since 1989 declined by at least one win the following season. So that's 75% of teams that improved by five or more wins since 1989. The Browns improved by seven wins, you know, because again, they won zero in 2017. Um, so, so there are some opportunities for regression for sure. Um, but the last thing I wanted to say about all of that was that Justin Mosqueda, who writes for Optimum Scouting, which is a really good football website. It's a little analytical, but does some really, really interesting stuff. He actually wrote an article that came out today that is essentially about looking at teams' records in close games, and they define close games as uh, games that finish with a point differential of seven points or less. And when you look at a team's record in close games, it can help sort of to predict where they will be the next year. Um, Like teams that lose most of their close games, the next year they usually are going to win more, win more games. So if you look at the Browns in 2017... They were 0-6 in close, in close games. So they lost six games. And if you remember the 0-16 season, the Browns were in a lot of games. They lost all of the games that finished with a point differential of seven points or less. Um, that's a difference of negative six. The next year, they won seven and a half. We're counting the tie as a seven and a half point thing. In 2007, the Miami Dolphins had one win um, and in close games, they went 1-6. Uh, the next year, they won 11 games. Uh, look at the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2016. They were 2-8 in close games. The next year, they won 10 games. That was a difference of seven. So um, they had won three games a year before. So there is a pattern that sort of shows that teams that lose a lot of their close games are going to improve the next year or vice versa teams that win a lot of their close games can have some regression in the next year, which sort of um, was interesting to look at the Browns uh, this past season. And so the Browns, the Browns played a uh, fair amount of close games. Uh, Again, they actually had nine of them. One of those ended in a tie. That was the game against the Steelers The Browns beat the Jets. That was their first win of the season. It was Baker Mayfield's debut. They beat the Ravens at home. They beat the Panthers. And they had that big win in Denver against the Broncos. Those were their four close wins. But they also lost four close games. They lost that game to the Saints. Uh, The Zane Gonzalez game, as we like to refer to it. They lost that game to the Raiders. Uh, They lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then they lost to the Ravens in the season finale. So they were 4-4-1 in close games, which sort of points to, which actually makes me feel better about the 2019 season, because I, I think that sort of, point, sort of points one way or the other that the Browns aren't due for some huge regression, and they aren't due for some huge improvement, which makes me feel really good about them going 9-7 or going 10-6. And even more to back that up, because uh, Justin Mosqueda actually writes that teams' records in decisive games. So these are these are games that they won or lost by eight points or more. Uh, actually, have a better are a better predictor of sort of future success. So for a team like the Browns, it didn't have a crazy record one way or another in close games. We can also sort of look at their decisive record. So, you know, like teams that are blowing people out and not being involved in blowouts. So like if a team was, you know, five and two in decisive games, that probably means they're a pretty decent team. And so if they lost a bunch of close games, um that next year, that also plays into, okay, they'll probably win a few more close games. they really good and decisive games. They're probably going to have a good season. So if you look at the Browns in decisive games, it's also a pretty close record. So they beat Atlanta and they beat Cincinnati twice by big margins. Now, in fairness, those three teams are not very good at all. And the teams they lost to were the Los Angeles Chargers, Pittsburgh Steelers, Kansas City Chiefs, and Houston Texans, all pretty good teams. So now the Browns went 3-4 and four in decisive games, but they beat some not great teams and they lost to some good teams. So you would expect that the Browns would improve their record against some of those better teams or would play better against some of those better teams. Um, and I think they will continue to to blow out some of those bad teams because they did it when their team was sort of in shambles for half the year and then found itself after Hugh Jackson was let go Um, so I think they will only improve on that so while they lost decisive games to really I mean these are really good teams Los Angeles Kansas City and Houston all made the playoffs so only one team out of those four didn't make it and that was Pittsburgh and they should have Pittsburgh was good enough to make the playoffs. And if they didn't have all that internal drama, they probably would have. So I'm calling these almost four playoff teams. So the Browns lost four games to playoff teams, um, some of these decisive games. And not all of them were crazy blowouts. They weren't losing by 30 points. So you would expect them to play better against better competition next season. And with their record being 4-4-1 in close games, I, I think the Browns have a real chance to maybe not make a huge leap. Like, they're not going to win 12 games or 11 games. But to go 9-7, to go 10-6, to be right there for a playoff spot, I think is more than reasonable as an expectation. And I think this article, which is really interesting, again, it's from Justin Mosqueda. It's on Optimum Scouting. Um That is .com, scouting.com, where you can go check out this article about how these sort of records and in, in close games can predict sort of immediate success or regression the next season especially you know if, if teams are in the extreme in one way or the other but then decisive game records and how that can sort of tell you more about a team overall than anything I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it so once again the Browns 20 to one Super Bowl odds Bill Bardenwell has them at seven and a half wins that's the over under that it's set at um, for 2019. And uh, Browns 4 4 and 1 in close games and uh, decisive games. They were 3 and 4. So I, I do think that the Browns will make market improvement next season. And though it may not be huge, I think it will be enough to hopefully have them in the playoff race right there at the end. I wanted to take a quick second, though, before we finish the rest of this podcast, um, to talk about another podcast uh, under the Blue Wire umbrella. Which has been growing like crazy, um, and it's been really cool to sort of be a part of uh, watching their growth and the podcast that they've acquired. Like Lakers Film Room has been a huge get for them. Lakers uh, Film Room was a already established Lakers podcast that does huge numbers, one of the most popular Lakers podcasts out there. It's now under the blue um, uh, Blue Wire umbrella. Excuse me, Jordan Reed. If you follow on uh, on Twitter, does really great stuff with the draft and he now has his own podcast under the blue wire umbrella which is really really cool so a lot of good stuff going on but i'd be remiss not to mention my guy jake burns um, and the browns film breakdown that's a blue wire pod if you just want to learn about the game and the intricacies of the game and things individual players do in, inside of a game that you may miss and just you know how Baker Mayfield is operating and what type of offense Freddie Kitchens is going to run. All that stuff in depth. Jake is really, really good at it. He's a former quarterback. He does great stuff with the All-22. So it's a lot of X's and O's stuff, but that's really, really teaches you about the game and helps you understand football, which is probably the most complicated sport of any sport. Um, and, and Jake does a great job. So check out uh, Browns Film, Breakdown, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Jake and I did a combined podcast, crossover pod, uh, when Freddie Kitchens was highest. And to this day, it's both of, ours, uh, both of our most listened to podcasts. So um, I have a lot of respect for Jake as somebody in the Cleveland Media and somebody that uh, I call a colleague at Blue Wire. So uh, check that out and be sure to, to rate him and give him a listen because it's really, really good. All right, let's get back into uh, the rebuild, and I, I wanted to talk about Rashard Higgins, who at the Super Bowl, doing some media rounds, radio row, told Cleveland.com, um, basically told John Dorsey, like, let's go. Let's get this contract extension done. Rashard Higgins is set to be a restricted free agent, but said he only wants to play in Cleveland. He doesn't want to go anywhere else. He wants to be a part of this turnaround that's already started. A lot of players say, I want to be here for the turnaround with the Browns. This is finally the first time where somebody can say, I would like to be a part of like this continued turnaround. And I, I think the Browns will do this, and I think they absolutely should do it. Um, the chemistry between Baker and Richard Higgins you know, started in training camp, and both of them were on the second team. I feel like every day I was out there a ton, whether it was just on my own or when I was out there for ESPN Cleveland watching that second unit. The second team, their, their connection was undeniable. There were deep balls down the sideline. I feel like every single day, some big touchdown passes between them. And that only continued into the regular season. And some stats, some stats from Rashard Higgins that I found to be really, really interesting were, first of all, his catch percentage. So how many balls were thrown his way that he actually caught um, was 73.5%. And that was actually just outside the top 10. And here are some of the names uh, he is has in company with him uh, right outside the top 10. Let me see where he was. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13th. He was 13th best in the NFL in catch percentage, I think, unless I have this wrong. Nope, that's correct. 13th in the NFL. Now, Michael Thomas was number one in that. Michael Thomas is absurd. He caught 85% of the balls thrown his way. So that's one guy that's in there. Tyler Lockett, who had an absurd connection uh, with Russell Wilson. He caught 81% of balls coming his way. He's in there. You have guys like Cole Beasley, a slot guy for Dallas, who caught everything. Um, you've got Zach Ertz in there, 74%. Adam Thielen is in there, 73.8%. So then you've got Richard Higgins at 73.5%. So... um that's a big deal. Rashard Higgins just catches the ball. Now, he didn't have as as many targets as some of these guys. You know, Michael Thomas had 147 targets compared to uh, Rashard Higgins' 53. So getting the ball to Rashad Higgins more, I think, is going to be a big part of it. He only had 39 receptions. But of those 39 receptions, four of those were touchdowns. And they also went deep to Rashard, which was a big, which was a, a cool thing to like see him become a guy that w- became sort of a deep threat or, or at least an intermediate threat. So uh, Next Gen Stats has a statistic called average targeted air yards. So essentially how far down the field Rashard Higgins was being targeted on passes. And if we take a look at where he ended up, um, let me scroll down here, he was at 11.2, so 11.2 yards um, per attempt in average intended air yards. Um, you know, you look at some guys, obviously the guys at the top of the list, these are going to be deep threats. This is Deshaun Jackson. This is, uh, you got even Kelvin Benjamin is on here, but Mike Evans, um, Tyreek Hill, 14.8, um, Josh Doxson, who, when he wasn't hurt, uh, was, you know, getting the ball downfield, Julio Jones, Josh Gordon, guys, John Ross, guys that are going deep. Antonio Callaway is actually on here at 13.7 average intended air yards, but, Rashard Higgins sort of occupied that space where, you know, I remember a lot of crucial first downs from him where you're throwing it to him 15 yards down the field. He really sort of excelled at that intermediate area of the field, which is really important when you're moving the chains and you're not hitting a guy nine yards when you need 10. You're hitting him at 15. And I think Rashard Higgins is that guy. I think he runs really good routes, especially when he's running um sort of to to the boundary and and right on the sideline made some incredible catches. So there's really encouraging to see Richard Higgins here at 11.2 average intended air yards as a guy that really is able to um just be a factor in that sort of intermediate area. Um, he actually Antonio Brown same 11.2 this season. Um, You look at a guy like Devontae Adams, 11.3, Odell Beckham, 11.5. So obviously not saying he's the caliber of those receivers, but he sort of operates in similar areas of the field and is able to make a really big difference there. And so I think Rashard Higgins is more uh, than deserving of a a contract extension. And um, I, I hope that the Browns can get it done um, sooner than later, and we'll have Richard as, as really a reliable guy and somebody that Baker trusts and developed trust with over over his rookie year, uh, sort of moving beyond that uh, as well. Last thing I wanted to hit on was just some, some mock draft stuff, because a couple came out today, um, both from Dane Brugler and another came out um, the Draft Network, which is another really good website that you can check out. And both of them have the Cleveland Browns at number 17, taking Christian Wilkins, who is a D tackle from Clemson. And that sort of seems to be really where a lot of people's thought process is going for the Browns in the first round and where John Dorsey might go. It's still weird for me to see 17 next to the Browns pick. That's going to um, take some getting used to It's like when you write in a new year for the first time, like January 1st, 2019, and you definitely still write 2018. I feel like you definitely still want to put a five or a four next to the Browns name because you're just used to it. But no, they're 17. They're picking 17th in the first round. And the defensive tackle position is one that the Browns... I mean, they need to upgrade. And it seems like the opportunity is going to be there to do so with a guy like Christian Willikens, Um Who you pair with Larry Ogunjobi, who played far, far too many snaps um, on defense this season. He was in there, especially the first half of the season, almost every snap of every game. Um, And if you give him somebody else on the interior that can be a disruptor, I think it will do wonders for Larry Ogunjobi in terms of just being able to rotate him in in and out, not have to play so many snaps, but also just giving him a partner in crime. You know, if you look at Miles Garrett and you look at Emmanuel Ogba, who John Dorsey mentioned had sort of been playing out of position. They were playing him inside from time to time. But if you can pair, you know, Garrett and Ogba and a little bit of Jannard Avery on the edge, and then you have a guy like Wilkins and Larry Ogunjobi inside, that makes for a really formative pass rush. And I think it's something that the Browns will certainly look at doing in that first round um, to go with somebody like, like Christian Wilkins, um... Uh, which I think is going to be a, a really interesting um, addition to that defensive line. Another another name that has sort of uh, popped up that I understand it because it is a connection to John Dorsey, who <clears throat> over his career as a GM... Um, you know, has has picked guys with, you know, character issues or domestic violence. You know, you look at a Tyree Kill and a Kareem Hunt, and you look at um, Antonio Callaway, who was involved in some of those things. And a report came out over the weekend uh, from Roto World that, uh, excuse me, this is from the source with draft analysts. This was posted on Roto World, but Tony Pauline, reported from a terrific source which is an incredible way to name a source it's not only a source a terrific source this source is just terrific what a great word to throw in with that uh but that brown's general manager john dorsey will select so this is all somebody's saying he's already made his mind up about who he's picking which is 100 cannot be true but that's fine um mississippi state defensive tackle so another interior guy jeffrey simmons um who didn't receive an NFL Combine invitation because he failed to meet league standards regarding past violence allegations, which stemmed from a release video of Simmons abusing a female victim in a parking lot. So, you know, you just, it's this type of thing that Dorsey has not shied away from. It's this type of thing that I think, if you're a Browns fan, should makes you uncomfortable. Um, at the Senior Bowl, teens believe that Simmons uh, had learned from his violent actions and taken the proper steps in the right direction, but, um, so this guy's a first-round prospect Jeffrey Simmons will probably drop because of this stuff, so that's why he's been linked to the Browns at 17. He could be a top 10 player, but obviously some of these things um, will have him not go that high, and I just, um, you know, it's just interesting. Would you rather them take somebody like a Christian Wilkins who doesn't have this sort of background in his past, especially if there's actual video of him abusing somebody? Yeah, you probably would. Uh, But John Dorsey has shown that he's not going to shy away from those types of players. And it will be an uncomfortable conversation to have if and when that does happen. But the bigger thing here is that it does appear the Browns are targeting some sort of defensive tackle in the first round of the NFL draft at number 17. And that will be here before we know it. The combine is this month. It is February. So uh, that is wild. And things are coming on quickly. And we don't have to worry about uh, whether or not Drew Locke is a draftable quarterback for the Browns, because that would literally be the only thing we're talking about right now. And I am so thankful that that is not going on, that we're not debating Drew Locke and watching videos of his footwork inside a gym on a rainy day because he couldn't throw outside in California. Like I'm just all the way thrilled that we are not doing that. So uh, the draft will be here before we know it. And the Browns are again picking at number 17. That is gonna do it for this episode of The Rebuild. I will be back with you next week as always as we will continue looking at the Browns offseason. I believe some coaches, assistant coaches are gonna get introduced this week. I think Todd Munkin and Steve Wilkes, uh, that is the plan. So we will sort of react to things that they have to say, uh, maybe have a guest on to sort of break down some of the stuff that they talk about. Um, But that's really exciting. We've talked a lot about Todd Munkin, especially on this podcast and Steve Wilkes. And uh, it's a whole new world with the Browns and Freddie Kitchens and their staff. So we will try and get to that and talk a lot about that next week. As always, thank you for listening to The Rebuild. Rate five stars, subscribe, tell your friends, put it in a rap lyric, whatever you want to do.